0: listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need
1: right now. He is the preeminent strategist in all of professional wrestling. And he's got Scorpio Sky set up. He's looking for that Judas Effect. No Sky. Counter. Backside. Backside. Shoulders. Wow. And Jericho showed us came up at the last moment. Oops. Brought. Jericho caught. got the boot. And now. Submission. Wrenching back at the Lion Tamer. He's in the center of the ring. Lee Tevion looking for a submission victory. Oh, he forces Scorpio. He had no choice. Scorpio Sky had no choice. He got caught in Jericho's finish. submission. And still, the AEW World Champion Chris Jericho Scorpio Sky was able to avoid that Judas effect but once the Lion Tamer was locked in Sky had no choice but to tap out and you know that the pain of losing this match has to be more than the pain of being in that, in that submission hole
0: I have carved out this soul made of stone and I will drag.
1: Episode of the Elitist Cinema Geekly's AEW Podcast. It's Anthony Lewis and Nick Montez, and we're back to talk more AEW Dynamite on TNT. Uh, they are on their ninth episode, Nick, and they are already back at the Sears Center in Hoffman Estates, Chicago, <laughs> Illinois. I believe they ref- repeatedly refer to this place as, and uh, this was the the big Thanksgiving Day episode. Of AEW, and without going into too much detail, uh, early on here, I thought this was a really weird episode of the show. I don't know how I don't know how you felt about it, but I thought this was a pretty strange episode in a lot of ways. Um, Felt like a weird night for us. Yeah, I don't know. Let's talk about what happened. So the show opens completely cold. We open in the arena, and there are there's a marching band on stage. They're weird, gigantic mascot costumes. And I'm like, okay, so we're opening with the Jericho celebration, his thank you that he's receiving from the AEW brass and Turner management. And, uh, our tons of handstanding clowns, which was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it, our MC for the evening is soul train Jones who literally had everything he needed to say on a piece of paper in front of him uh, the whole time. And even then, Nick, he struggled to say the name Chris Jericho at first. <laughs> which you think would be the easiest part of his job, but no.
0: He's too busy being focused on all that meat sauce, all that, uh, all of that. That's
1: what's on his I mean, it'd be on my mind as well, but... <laughs> Uh, Soul Train's got to be a professional here. Uh, This immediately felt like one of those hyper-wacky WWE segments, like the Festival of Friendship. I mean, this felt exactly like that, actually. Um, The thing he did with Kevin Owens a couple of years ago. And, uh, because (laughs) it wouldn't be me reviewing an AEW show, I also make note here that the microphone is very echoey. And... That's bad, guys. Don't do that. When When you're talking, I don't want to hear an echo like it's not synced up with the... It's almost like they have the microphone volume, but they also have the arena volume at the same level. So I'm hearing them talk, but I'm also hearing the echo of it traveling in the arena, and you got to lower that down. It was very distracting to me. Uh, and it also goes without saying something I would learn later that again, at least the way I listen to this show, the mic is the mic I'm under the ring or wherever they have it is just awful, and I hate how it sounds. Uh, but I'll complain about that a little bit later. Uh, Jericho comes down to much fanfare with uh the music playing and everything, and uh, he's in the mood for a celebration, Nick. In fact, he says that uh if everybody checks under their seats, a select few number of fans will have a coupon for 50 cents off of a Jericho t-shirt. <laughs> and uh, they they get a shot of one guy who I, I, I presume is a plant, was holding one of these coupons, and he's like, Oh my God! Thank you, Chris! Like, he's freaking out over his 50 cents off. Uh, <laughs> Jericho pulls out a bottle of bubbly, says that this was made from the finest grapes in Nepal, and uh, also notes that this is legitimate, and they can go to a little bit com and order a select uh, it's a limited quantity uh, version of this sparkling wine uh, that is actually being legitimately made through Stephen Amell's wine company, I guess that he owns. That's Stephen Amell. He has a wine company. <laughs> this is, this is what I learned by listening to post wrestling's review of this show yesterday or this morning, uh, uh, because they were talking about how it was a, in a, in a press release they received. So Stephen Amell owns a wine company and they're, this is his first AEW contribution is, is producing this. Um, the rest of the inner circle come down minus Jake Hager, uh, Sammy Guevara's gift To Chris Jericho is a life-size stand-up of themselves hugging, which they then immediately recreate, which was hilarious. And afterwards, Chris Jericho, like a little child, goes, Thanks, Spanish God! thought that was really (laughs) funny. Uh, Proud and Powerful have a Barriqua gift basket for Chris Jericho. It includes a variety of jokes that probably went over my head, although I'm going to maybe... Uh, send this clip over to fellow Cinema Geekly podcaster Aurora Bubaloo who is in fact uh, from Puerto Rico and she may be able to tell me whether or not these are actually funny uh, but the, because uh, these jokes went over my head as a non bariqua but the crowd, uh, people in the crowd seemed to get this and thought it was funny uh, they also made Jericho an honorary Bariqua by giving him a bandana to put on his head, at this point Jericho looked ridiculous but that's what's great about it And then, uh, Jake Hager comes, uh, I wrote here, Hager has an uncooperative goat named Chris (laughs) Jerigoat. Uh, it was clear they wanted to do a little bit more with this, but this goat, Nick, was a reluctant television star and did not want to make an appearance. Uh, oh here, he was struggling, this gargantuan, strong man, this goat was just having his way with Hager. He, he could not get this goat to cooperate. (laughs) Um, I know it took two of them to get it out there. And even then, yes. Um, then there's a giant box in the ring. They lift up the present box to reveal Chris Jericho's legit father. Ted (laughs) Irvine says, it's great to be back in New York city. The crowd boos. Of course he played for the Rangers. Uh, Ted Irvine rips on the Blackhawks, calls them wimps. Says he used to beat up on Bobby Hull, who is, of course, a Blackhawks legend. Uh, He gives the Inner Circle custom Rangers jerseys. Then Chris Jericho asks Justin Roberts to come in and read the thank you note. Uh, Jericho says he didn't want to read it, so he asks Roberts to read it for him, at which point the crowd chants, You can't read at Chris Jericho. Uh, making a bold assumption here. Uh, he asked Justin Roberts where he's from and he says he's from just down the street. Uh, he's a Chicago native. So that told you all you need to know. He read the well-written statement to Justin Roberts and then Jericho took issue with his tone and they very, very, very lightly beat up on Justin Roberts. I don't think I've seen a lighter beating in my whole life.
0: I know, and Jr. put it off or put it over by going, "Oh, for God's
1: sakes, don't mess up his hair." Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Jr. was not buying into this as a brutal beating. Apparently, one of the one of the no. few times of this episode where I was pretty happy with with Jim Ross. I thought he and and he also wondered if Abdullah the Butcher was inside of the big box at one point, <laughs> but uh, he was not. Uh, That was also pretty funny. Although, as the show went on, I think Jr. got drunker and drunker, so we we shall see. Um, (laughs) So, then SCU, dressed up as members of the band, just ran in, and there was no reveal. Like, they just ran in, and it was obvious it was SCU, and they scared the inner circle away. And I wrote here, kind of lame at the end. I thought this was going great, up until they beat up Justin Roberts, and then SCU just ran in in the band. Like, usually when you're dressed up in a costume, it's to, like, stand right behind the bad guys unsuspectingly, and then you slowly reveal who it is in the costume. But that's not what happened. It was just, they could have just run out in their gear from the back. I don't know why they did this. It was super weird. But what did you think of the segment? I agree. Great segment, but a really flat end.
0: I mean, it gave us the phrase a little bit of the 40, which I'm a fan. That was pretty Um, funny, yes. And the fact that the sandals will double as weapons, you know, any uh, Latin...
1: Yes! Uh, <laughs> any Latin mothers will, will recognize that.
0: I I think it's about time that Jericho finally got his own wine. I know he's been talking about it on Talk as Jericho, like, when he explained a little bit of the bubbly, he did a whole episode just about, and uh, talked to, talked about he was in talks with several different... to get a wine made, so... Awesome that they finally got that released. Mm-hmm. Really funny segment. Um, I love the <laughs> Chris Jergoat. That was fantastic. <laughs> Although it's a shame they couldn't get him down to the ring. Couldn't,
1: but you don't want any animals. Yeah, you don't want a wild goat going crazy. Oh, definitely. They lost. They yeah. lost handle on that thing. And
0: what? they just had so many weird like characters walking around. Like I already told you, the hand-standing clowns. But there was a Humpty Dumpty. There was a Triceratops I saw. Just weird. Uh, Whatever they could find.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It kind of looked like it was just thrown together. Like, what outfits
1: do we have from whatever parade? (laughs) Yes. Um, First match on the show was Best Friends and Lucha Brothers. Uh, Orange Cassidy is in a turkey suit as he (laughs) comes out. The Lucha Brothers attack him during the entrance. Uh, Tony Schiavone, not on the show. And I note, some really quiet guy is. And I don't know anything about this. I I need to listen to some other shows or read some other news. Uh, it sounded like this guy, the way they kept plugging our good friends over at State Farm, thanks to our good friends over at State Farm, either this guy is an AEW fan that works for State Farm, or he's some fan that entered a State Farm competition to call an AEW show. Either way, they didn't make us aware of any of this, and it was just this guy, and he's obviously, this isn't really his fault, I don't think he's a professional commentator, and he seemed pretty nervous to be on TV, and he only called this one match, but again, this adds to the weirdness of this show, I thought anyway, uh...
0: No, I agree. It was weird just because he was so quiet and it seemed like he was being really
1: polite and stuff. And I'm like, that's your comment. I was begging for Alex Marvez to come back at this point on commentary. Like, he was not good uh, doing the early, uh, the few shows that he did, but, oh man. Like, he needs to come back, like, real quick if they're not going to have Shivani on the show. If you can't get, basically the hierarchy is if you can't get Shivani, Golden Boy. If you can't get Golden yes. Boy, Alex Marvez. If you can't get Alex Marvez, just, you know, put Jim Ross down for a an nap and let Excalibur call the show on his own. Uh, or even throw uh, Dustin on
0: commentary. He was entertaining on Dark a few weeks.
1: Sure. Even Sean Spears on Dark this week was uh, pretty good on commentary. Most of the people who have been on, bring Taz in. Taz was great on Dark. Just right do that guys just if you can't get shivani get another decent high level commentator in there because i do not like the excalibur jim ross team and yeah that's i'm not digging it Uh, the only thing worse would be jim calling it i think on his own at this point uh anyway uh nothing happens in this match until they go into a picture-in-picture break During the picture-in-picture break, the only thing of note here is that the Lucha Brothers appear to be mocking the concept of the tag rope. As people have been complaining that a lot of teams weren't even even tagging in and out one time during a Lucha Brothers match. They tagged each other while one was still in the ring in the corner and wasn't even on the apron. And they do have tag ropes, so a lot of people have been like, Why aren't you guys following the tag team rules? And it's obvious that the Lucha Brothers do not work a style conducive to grab the tag rope, you know, reach out for the tag. Like, you know, that's, there's not a lot of that in Lucha anyway, but, and that's certainly not conducive to how the Lucha Brothers work their matches. So it was obvious in this match. I was sitting there watching them. Like they go for a tag and one of them doesn't have the rope and the referee has got to be like, tag rope. So they'll grab the tag rope, but then they'll just, like, hold it way up in the air to be like, I have the tag rope, like, dangling it around in the ref's face. Like, they're just <laughs> mocking this concept and clearly hate having to do this. Uh, so they, the Lucha Brothers have control throughout the break. When we come back, Chuck Taylor gets the hot tag and runs wild. Orange Cassidy uh, distracts the, the Lucha Brothers, at which point Jim Ross wonders what Orange Cassidy's life must be like. Which, you know what? Fair. I wonder what his life must be like. Uh, Phoenix goes for a destroyer on Trent, but he holds on to Phoenix, hooks his legs, delivers the Crunchy, and pins him. What did you think of this? Um, The one thing I will note, because I unfortunately did not get the uh, commercial
0: segments, I just watched this this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I... <laughs> For whatever reason, they showed commercials for, for not only Vic's Vapor Rub, which was in the opening segment, but Olive Garden. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> um, I thought Penta looked super cool, as always. He had a Venom mask today. Mm-hmm. They are, made the mistake of calling um, Trent Taven at one point. How? He is, yeah, Jim Ross I has never know. even
1: worked for Ring of Honor. That
0: was such a big mistake. It was so glaring. I'm like, Taven? I was like... Watch Ring of Honor, or like, why? Why do you know that name? Well, why he wasn't didn't you done. Screw that up. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. Um, the match was all right. I didn't think it really. It wasn't quite what I was expecting from a Lucha Bros uh, best friends match. I gave this one two and three quarter stars just because I felt like it, it kind of underperformed a little
1: bit. Oh yeah, I wrote here surprisingly average. It looked like I don't know what it was. This whole match just. The Lucha Brothers just looked like they did not give a shit in this match. Like, they're being forced to do these tag rope thingies. Uh, They weren't going crazy. They weren't doing anything crazy. It's like, look, we've got like a 10 minute tag team match. We're just going to do a couple things. Nothing bonkers. And they're going to hit the move on us. And then we. It just was surprisingly average. I also gave this two and three quarters, which is actually a little bit above the people at Grapple, who gave it 2.55. So they were even less impressed than we were uh, in that match. Uh, Up next, B. Priestley and Emi Sakura against Hikaru Shida and Chris Statlander, who is making her debut on TV. First thing I wrote, JR being JR, as he notes that Emi Sakura dressed as Freddie Mercury Freddie Mercury has never looked as good as an orient. I mean, an Asian. I mean, a female. (laughs) Jesus. Look, I know.
0: He knew what happened to Jim Cornette, so he's watching his words.
1: Look, I know that, uh, you know, it's not coming from a place of, like, hatred. Like, he's just old. Jim Ross, being a man from Oklahoma and being a fan of the team that he is, is literally the most okay boomer there is. So, uh, like literally and figuratively, and then even more literally again. But, uh, that being said, people have already told him once that like, don't say Oriental, dude, like it's just, just don't. Okay. Okay. This is like the seventh time he said it. Like since then, like, just come on, Jim. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, the heels try to take out Statlander, but she takes them out and looks pretty good in the process. Uh, B uh, ends up getting the heat on Sheeta, heading into a picture-in-picture break. During this break, they do some comedy stuff, uh, and when we get back from the break, Sheeta is still taking a beating. Uh, she manages to get a knee in on uh B and tags in Chris, who runs wild again. The crowd seems to really like her, and her and Sheeta seem to work together pretty good. They were doing like these great double team knees and super kick uh combos uh, She gets cut off, but then makes another comeback and gets a few uh near falls, but then when the ref's back is turned, Emmy hits. Statlander, with the microphone stand and rolls her up in the Mahistral cradle for the win. Uh, what did you think of this one? it was a good match i'm I'm
0: probably going to give a higher rating to any Chris Statlander because she 's currently probably my favorite women 's wrestler, mm-hmm. um, but she was really impressive, showing off her athleticism. Dita just kills me with those uh, running knees. I just think it always looks awesome mm-hmm. He does it um. Maybe not so crazy with the uh, hitting of the uh, mic stand, but I guess that's supposed to be how Emmy is now. She is technically a heel, I guess. Yeah, even though she's dressed as Freddie
1: Mercury, who is great, and she tries right. to do, like, Queen stuff, which is also great, which involves, like, crowd participation, so I don't know what's going on. She confuses me a bit,
0: so I guess she was living up to being a heel with the Priestley, but it's felt kind of weird. But overall, I liked the match. I gave it three stars. A solid outing for the women.
1: Okay. I'm a little bit behind you. Just like the last match I went to in three quarters. Uh, I thought it was sometimes good, but also sometimes clunky. Uh, It had its good moments, but also had moments where it was like, okay. Uh, I'm also with you about Emmy. Like, it's weird, but I don't know. Uh, Also in this match, Jim Ross talked about how amazing it is that wrestlers like Sheeta and Riho have uh, been, like, how they're uh, attached. They have this crowd attachment. Even though these Asian ladies don't speak any English, Jim Ross says. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like, and you don't have to speak English for people to make a connection. Like, you can just, you know... Sheeta is gorgeous. She's got cool gear. She's a good wrestler. For AEW, like, for a lot of people, like, that's enough. Like, you can be, like, cool. Or you can just follow them on social media and, like, see stuff that they post to do. Like, this is a lot... Like, people connect in a lot of ways. Not everything needs to be through promos anymore. But, you know, JR's an old guy. So... It's that uh, it's that old story when you have that grandma or that great grandma who just casually telling racist jokes, and you're just like, oh, "That's grandma, because she's old." Yeah. They didn't know better in her time, so to them that was funny. Uh, you just have to be like, "That's it." Uh, John Moxley, oh, I, the grapple score. Uh, they went two point seven six. Hey, so they were right there with me, but we're not terribly far apart on that one. No. Uh, John Moxley's backstage. Uh, he says he's wildfire. He's Napalm Death, which I'm pretty sure is a band. Uh, yep. <laughs> he says that, like those things, he will eventually get you. says he's going to burn a path to the top of AEW. I thought it was good, but, you know, not, not his best. It was a small promo, but I liked it. Any, anything to add on John Moxley's words, Nick? Short and sweet. Not not much to say there, but yeah, I like yeah. the line Mox is napalm. Somewhere, <laughs> Zack Sabre Jr. is probably angry. I think he's got napalm death or whatever in one of his finishing move names. So um, I think it's orienteering with napalm death, I think is the name of one of his uh, submissions. Uh, oh. Cody Rhodes returns to action against Matt Nix of Freelance Wrestling. And a lot of the people in this crowd knew Matt Nix and knew Freelance Wrestling and cheered for him. I have only heard the name Matt Nix, and I've heard of Freelance Wrestling, but I am unfamiliar with his work or the promotion, but I've I've heard of them. Uh, Interesting that that many people in the crowd knew enough to, like, chant. Which makes even... Which makes what happens at the end of this match even weirder, honestly. Uh, <laughs> Cody hits an Oz Cutter, tosses his weight belt into the crowd, and then hooks Matt Nix with a figure four to win. I gave this one star. Because that's Sold. all that match was. Uh, and a .84 from Grapple on, uh, on that match. But there's nothing to say about it. That they did an angle at the end. So... He's about to call out MJF when a hole appears in the ring, Nick. It's just, he's standing there for a second. Maybe they cut to the shot a little too early, but there's a hole in the ring. And then a man appears with a mask on. And for a second, just a second, before I recognized his, the fact that he did not have the body of Marty (laughs) Skrull. Um, I thought it may have been him for a second, but it was I not. It was gonna be him. I thought it was going to be him or someone from the dark. Yeah, something like that. Um, but <laughs> who did it turn out to be, Nick? It was the Blade. And I'm like, who? <laughs> uh, and I was really confused because... You know, Excalibur is talking like, everyone should know who the Blade is. It's the Blade. And Jim Ross echoing me here going, who? And then another large man appeared from this hole. And Excalibur is like, it's the Butcher. And I'm like, oh, the Butcher and the Blade. Like, I've heard of this tag team before. Like, I've heard the name, but I've not seen Mm -hmm. any of the work. I didn't even know what these guys looked like and they come out and uh, of this hole and they attack Cody and then a woman appears from the hole and it's Allie and Excalibur is like the Butcher the Blade and the Bunny because that's one of Allie's nicknames I guess and apparently Allie is also married to the Blade I think they're a couple but oh is that um Pepper Parks Yes. Braxton Sutter, or whatever his name was in Impact. Um, so, I had no idea who he was, but I
0: knew the butcher was Andy Williams of Every Time I died.
1: Yes. And the crowd had no idea who these... Who, Weirdly enough, they know who Matt Nix of Freelance Wrestling is, but they weren't aware of like this tag team, which had been making some waves also on the Independents. Like, in the East Coast and Midwest, so it's weird that they had no idea who these guys were. But, uh, maybe Matt Nix just invited everybody he knew to this show. Maybe that's what happened. Uh, (laughs) but, uh... I didn't like... I did not like this. I mean, I like the look of the team. Like, the look is good and everything. But here's why I didn't like this. Uh, I don't know who these guys are. And... Excalibur I think would have been better suited to also not know who these guys are. Uh because then at the very least you're like who are these people? It's a mystery. We don't know who they are. We don't know anything about them, but uh that can then be explained. So, you know what I mean?
0: No, the the way that Excalibur plays it off it's like it was announced already like they were they had a vignette for several weeks or something like that and that's what they should have done if they wanted to like create excitement and have people know who are just having them come out of a hole and then all of a sudden i'm i'm assuming they're heels cuz they attack Cody and Allie's a heel now too after getting beat up by Kong it's weird yeah
1: um yeah, i don't know what yeah i mean so He's talking about them like we should know who they are, but we don't. So it kind of makes you feel dumb, but also like, I don't know. I'm, I feel like the announcer should kind of be in like the fan shoes to be like, you know, we also don't know what's going on. Like maybe we'll find out. Uh, it's weird that, I mean, people did point to the fact that Brandy is Cody's uh, wife and uh, you know, awesome Kong took Allie's hair and you know, that Allie and Brandy have a thing. Maybe this is, you know, because Cody is her husband that this is getting back at them. But Ally is turned heel to face the heel Brandy. Like, I, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, So I was left confused and, further confused by Allie's turn, and I just wrote, this has not been AEW's best night. Uh, it improved though, because we got Pack and Kenny Omega, the rematch from All Out. Uh, this match starts with Omega doing a huge flurry of offense, including a Snapdragon and a Sky High for a two, and he hits the Terminator dive. Uh, Omega appeared to tweak his knee, uh, although that didn't really play into the match. Pac took advantage, though, and maintained control, uh, hits an Orihara moonsault on Kenny to the outside, going into a picture-in-picture break. Uh, and once we are back from the break, uh, they are trading shots back and forth. Kenny hits what I can only describe as a Sparta kick, like from 300 onto Pack, Like, he just boots him, and Pack goes flying backwards, like he's on wires like in a movie or something. Yes. This kick was so impressive, and the flyback so impressive, the crowd chanted, holy shit, for a kick to the midsection. <laughs> uh, they have a big strike exchange. They head up to the top. Pack hits a huge avalanche falcon arrow. He goes for the black arrow, but he misses. Kenny hits the V-trigger. He goes for the one-winged angel, but Pack slips out, and they trade a few pinning combinations until Kenny gets one that clicks, and he gets the three, and he gets the victory over Pack. I thought this was easily the best match on the show. What did you think of uh, Kenny and Pack?
0: Oh, I agree. It was a good match. It, it definitely picked up the, energy of the show. I think the show would have been kind of like this. May be the most notable thing for the show is the um, the Falcon Arrow was incredible. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad Kenny got a win. Open this that we're gonna start to see him. Couple more wins and maybe get in contention for that title. Uh, I gave this one three and a half.
1: Yeah, I uh, I also went with three and a half. Uh, Grapple, 3.58. Uh, I thought this was pretty good. I know there's people that are already saying like they're falling into the 50 50 booking thing. I don't think that that's really, I really don't think that's what's happening here. 50 50 booking is usually, you know. Alistair Black beats Cesaro on Raw. And then the next week on Raw, Cesaro beats Alistair Black again. And then the next week, Alistair Black beats Cesaro again. Like, to me, that's 50-50. These guys haven't wrestled each other in 88 days. And they've both had their wins and their losses against other people. I don't feel like this is really 50-50 booking. Uh, I think no, in, it's a when, rematch. Yeah, I feel like when people are using that term, they're not thinking about it in the, you know where WWE will do a rematch every single week. You see the same people wrestling each other every week. Um, To me, that's the 50-50 booking stuff. Trading wins in a manner like that. Uh, There's a Battle Royal recap, and then we get Hangman Page versus MJF for the Dynamite Diamond. There's an inset promo from both MJF and Adam Page about who's going to win this match. Uh... Paige, uh, I wrote here, Paige whooping him hither and yawn before going into a picture-in-picture break. Uh, MJF gets the heat during the break, and he works on Paige's arm, of course, to set up for his uh, armbar submission. Uh, which was a red herring, as it would turn out. Uh, when we get back from the break, Page makes a comeback, hits a big buckshot lariat for a two. Uh, Wardlow cheated, put MJF's foot on the rope. And the fans want this man tossed from the match. But they did not get it. Wardlow then hits a cheap shot on Hangman Adam Page. And MJF hits a very ugly looking crossroads on Adam Page. And pins him. Uh, what did you think of the Dynamite Diamond Ring match? Uh, and underwhelming, truthfully. Yes. Um, that didn't really impress
0: me that much. I kind of checked out during... I mean, not really worth forty-five thousand dollars. I'd say. No. Um, <laughs> um, I think I only gave it two and a quarter star. I mean, it was okay, but it just—it yeah. was not what I was like. I was—I looked at this show as it was going to be kind of pay-per-view quality, and yes, it, it definitely feels more like don't get hurt before thing.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I gave this two and a half average. Surprised at how not great this was, uh, and it was short, it just all of it. I was just like underwhelmed by uh, post match DDP came out to present this ring. Uh, I noted here that the diamond ring is not a very impressive visual. Uh, there's a reason when you win. You know, everybody gets championship rings. When you win in the NBA, when you win in baseball, when you win in hockey, when you win in football, everybody gets rings. But there's a reason they all hold up a big-ass trophy, Nick. It's because the trophy is something you can clearly see and is a big visual representation of them being the best. Now I've seen I've since seen a video or a gif or something that AEW put up with a close up of the ring, and the ring does look very impressive. Uh, clearly an expensive ring, but just on TV, like they could have that could have been a fake ring with fake diamonds and everything, and no one would have been able to tell the difference. Uh,
0: exactly. I'm
1: surprised they didn't do
0: something like they did with the belts, like showing it on display. Like, even throughout the match, you could have cut to Joseph of the Ring or anything. I just care about it. It just didn't appear until the
1: end. Yeah, this was a very unimpressive visual. DDP, congrats MJF, but he's a dick to him and then hides behind Wardlow, and then they have a separation. Uninterested in all of that. Although DDP had a lot of charisma and fire and stuff, but... Not interested in seeing DDP versus Wardlow. I'm not excited to see Billy Gunn versus Wardlow. I don't know what they're doing here. So uh, I disapprove of this whole scenario. Uh, Jen Decker is in the ring with Dustin Rhodes. He says three words before the Inner Circle attack him and the Young Bucks save him, and then they all kick the Inner Circle guys in the balls. At this point... I was like, alright, I've, <laughs> AEW has done too many of these, you know, now let me tell you Mean Gene, uh, and then somebody comes in and attacks them, and then somebody has to run in to make a save, I feel like they do way too much of this, and even though this was fine, uh, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Take, it was not needed. You know yeah, take this away, give it to one of the other matches that got a shorter amount of time or something and see if they can do a little bit of extra with it or something. Um, was not needed. Is this like their excuse? Was this their excuse to get the Young Bucks on the show, you think? That's my feeling. And the crowd was very happy to see the Young Bucks, but that's about it. Uh, I wrote down here, this might be the best thing on the show. We got another Dark Order <laughs> video. And... I wish they had actually played these from the beginning. I'm sure they probably didn't maybe get the idea until now, but I wish they had thought of the idea first and then introduced them in this manner, because I think this is really cool. Uh, (laughs) we're with our, our rejected nerd guy as he's now seen this commercial. It feels like this is like playing off of the very last set we got. Like this is directly after he got off of the subway Uh, After seeing the video, he sees a a thing or joining the Dark Order, and he pulls a tab, and he heads to the address, and he goes to this building where a man is speaking to a small group of people, and we never see the man's face. We can only see, like, his mouth moving, and we see shots from behind. It is clearly evil, Evil Uno, but he is unmasked. He is the cult leader, and when he makes appearances, though, no one can see his face. Uh, he is the only people whose faces you can see are everybody else's. The people sitting with him, and of course, uh, Grayson, who's also with him, as he he refers to him as his first disciple. And he's talking to all these people, and as he's talking about all of these people, they show close ups of them. He's like, you know, whether you've failed at your job, and they'll show like a close up of a guy. And then we get like a mini flashback of this guy being miserable at his job or, uh, you know, somebody having a tough family life or something like that. And our, our nerd is sitting there watching all of this happen. And then sort of like in the blink of an eye, all of these people are sitting in their chairs, all have dark order masks on. Uh, I thought this was good. This is like the best thing on the show. I thought.
0: Yeah, man makes the dark order look like an actual force to be reckoned with.
1: Yeah. And it feels like there's a story there. Uh, you know, who are they going to turn? I mean, this this nerd guy, he's not coming to wrestle for AEW, but no. <laughs> clearly they're going to turn wrestlers, and who are they going to turn? You know, this actually makes them kind of interesting. Uh the Main li- event, Scorpio Sky... Librarian. Oh, go ahead. What was that?
0: I was going to say it's going to be the librarian. He's going to be a member of
1: the Dark Order. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they could use all the help they can get right now. Um main event Scorpio sky and Chris Jericho for the AEW championship. Uh, I'm going to try to remember why I wrote, please fire Jr. here. <laughs> Maybe this is when he was going on about Aubrey Edwards. Like it sounded like he was complimenting her, but then all of a sudden he's like, and she's doing all that in spite of her gender or something like that. And I'm just are. losing my goddamn mind. I'm like, Oh, can we just watch the show please? Uh, Scorpio looked good early, but cut off with a great triangle dropkick from Tris, uh, Chris Jericho heading into the break. Uh, when we come back, Sky makes a comeback, hits a slingshot uh, cutter for a two. Uh, he gets uh, Scorpio in the line tamer, but he gets to the ropes. I wrote here that the crowd seemed mostly dead at this point. And I couldn't tell if it's they were getting the same sense I was getting that this show was just off and weird. Or if it's because WWE ran like four nights in Chicago, and I'm sure a lot of these people probably went to some of those shows. Uh, Maybe they were just tired out on wrestling. Uh, Hager runs in, tries to interfere. It results in a near fall. SCU dispatches him, and while all this is going on, the ref is distracted. Jericho grabs the belt, goes to hit Scorpio with it, but Scorpio picks him up and hits a TKO. The crowd suddenly woke up for this and were on fire like this was going to be the end of the match. And Jericho kicked out. Uh, Jericho hits him with a code breaker, but Scorpio kicks out of that. Crowd now thinks this match is awesome, which... No, you don't. I was listening to no. you all throughout the early portions of this match. You did not think this was awesome. You were falling asleep, practically. The last couple of things <laughs> that happened were awesome, but I don't think that makes the match awesome. Uh... He goes for the Judas Effect, but it's counted into a backslide for a 2. Scorpio goes for an Enziguri, but Jericho catches him in the Lion Tamer, and Scorpio Sky passes out, or maybe he tapped out. We didn't get to see either way what happened. Uh, the match ended, Jericho won. Post-match, John Moxley walks down the stairs and then stops, and then him and Jericho stare at each other from them. Not, not a good setup for another match, if that's what they're doing. I'm not a fan of the just stare at each other from a distance thing, but uh, I thought the main event was good, but I was expecting, for some reason, a much higher level match. What did you think of the main event?
0: Uh, I feel the same. Uh, it, I guess I was expecting with Scorpio Sky in there, you're going to get really awesome out of him in Jericho, but it, it, it fell under again. Um I don't have too much to say about this match. You pretty much said it all. I think I gave it three stars. Um, I think this should have been where you had your attack instead of Dustin getting attacked. They should have had uh, Mox come out from the crowd and take out Jericho. I think that would have hyped a lot more rather than just staring at each other. Yeah, um, just such an underwhelming episode of Dynamite.
1: Definitely the week. Yeah, sure. I uh, I also gave it three. Grapple gave it a three point two. Uh. For sure, man. I, uh, somebody, uh, I saw somebody do one of these polls of like, if you watched both shows, which one was better this week? And I have not watched NXT yet, but there's no way they can't have a better show this week. I mean, they'd have to have a, like, this is not like an all time awful episode of wrestling television. It wasn't. It just felt tonally off for AEW. It, like, the ma- most of the matches didn't click. Most of the segments didn't feel like they really clicked. I thought JR was particularly rough this night on commentary, and there was no Shivani there to balance everything out. Uh, and on top of that, I think it was, you know, the expected idea that this was going to be a really big show with a lot of big stuff happening on it, and most of those things kind of fell flatter under expectations. So it's not like it was an all-time awful episode... just by AEW standards thus far, this was a weak episode and NXT will in fact have to have a really bad episode to not be better than AEW this week. Uh, Ratings wise is like another story. There's uh, no uh, accounting for any of that ahead of time. I'm just saying from a, uh, you know, from a subjective what was a better show standpoint, I I don't know how NXT couldn't be a better show this week, Uh, but I will find out when I watch it. Next week, I think they announced uh, Trent and Phoenix are wrestling, but I don't think they've announced anything else for the show yet. Am I am I wrong in that? Have they announced anything else? That was the only thing. That's all I've heard far. I don't think that's going to be the main event, but that's all we know about for next week's episode. So you know that's probably how we're gonna sign off, plug in that match. Uh, It should be good. I would imagine it'll be good, but uh, we shall see. Maybe Taven will show up instead in Russell Phoenix. No, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think Trent what, and Phoenix think, will be better. I think Cody teased
0: before the show that they were going to have a couple of surprises on this, mm-hmm. and I got people extra excited too, and there was a lot of conspiracy theories around, like maybe... Maybe Marty's going to show up early. Like Ring of Honor will let him out of his contract early for the show I think, if they let him do Final I,
1: Battle. Now, if if memory is correct, I think Marty is actually already out of his contract with ROH, and he is still, but he had already agreed to work Final Battle. So I
0: heard that his contract doesn't expire until the thirtieth, and then okay. he's doing Final Battle after that. But either way, I mean, he's already teasing, and he was at Cracker Barrel for his last interview where he announced. Yeah, his match for a final battle, so he'll yes. be there, just who knows when.
1: Yeah. Uh, Alright, so that's this week's episode of the show. Head on over to cinemageekly.com where you can check out the archives, and of course you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just search for The Elitist, hit subscribe. That way you can hear us come back next time, talk about more AEW Dynamite on TNT, and what is for sure not the main event of the show, featuring Trent and Ray Phoenix. In my mind.